Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ekolona, and this is Nashville. Power, speed, agility. Those are the characteristics of amazing athletes. But when those athletes walk on four legs and weigh 1,500 to 2,000 pounds, well, that's downright astonishing. Now imagine attempting to ride a one-ton bull. Yep, even thinking about it is hard. Hanging on for eight seconds? That's elite territory. Bull riding is just one of the featured events at the rodeo. We'll talk the ins and outs of rodeo season in Middle Tennessee later this hour. But first, the long-standing hospice program in Middle Tennessee is about to undergo some pretty serious changes. The nonprofit Alive Hospice was created in 1975 to provide care for people nearing the end of their lives. But now Alive is preparing to sell the hospice to a for-profit company, despite objections from members of Alive's advisory committee. Joining me now with more is Steve Cavendish, editor of the Nashville Banner, who's been following this story. Steve, thanks for being here. Khalil, always good to be here. Good to see you. Welcome back to This Is Nashville, my friend. Now, let's begin with a little bit of background. I shared a bit about Alive's hospice and their history, but tell me more. What really sets this program apart? So Alive came uh, came about as part of a, 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 a hot, the, the original hospice movement in the 1970s. And uh, Alive was actually the third hospice uh, built in the, uh, in the United States. Uh, John Flexner and David Barton uh, were the two founders who were behind it. And it was set up to it was set up to uh, do what we think of as natural for hospice care now, which is to help people kind of in their last days. And particularly people that are that are suffering kind of from deep pain, and and have uh, have a manageable have manageable into their life, and kind of and what they would say is you know to bring some dignity to their last days, uh, and so alive grew out of that, and it was, uh, was formed as a nonprofit in the mid seventies. Uh, it it built into a, a huge kind of in home. Uh, service and then uh, they built a residential facility downtown uh, beginning in the 90s and it's and it's been a it's been a big part of the community there there are you can if you start having a conversation with people kind of about death and dying in this town you're going to find so many people that have used alive services there Mm. um, for a loved one for a family member for a friend uh, they, they've, they've performed like a huge service over the years. Why is the nonprofit model important to the organization? Um, the, they would say they would say always. For, first of all, the it wasn't it was the originals were all nonprofits, and then the for profit hospice kind of grew after uh, the government started reimbursing through Medicare in the in the mid eighties. And it's grown from about 30% to about 70% of all hospice care is now for profit. Uh, what what advocates who are who are non uh, of nonprofit hospice would say is that the outcomes are better because there are not uh, there are not the the uh, pressures to produce profit uh, mm. and produce and and to have you know people seeing more and more patients. For example, there's a huge study that was done by. 
the Rand Corporation that was in the February issue of the Journal for the American Medical Association, which examined just this uh, sort of thing. It was a massive study of about 3,100 providers, and, and it talked to both patients and family members uh, uh, of patients who were dying. And their conclusion was that nonprofit uh, hospice outcomes are almost always better than for-profit uh, outcomes. And, it's, and it's, it's one of the biggest studies that's been done kind of in the area. So what do we know about the plan to sell to a for-profit? Well, that's the interesting part of it is, is, is that a live hospice has gone kind of radio silent. Um, David, uh, David and Lynn Barton, who are, who are the, found, uh, the founders, uh, had heard from, uh, from someone at Jewish Family Services who was a, who's a provider who refers a lot of patients to Alive, uh, and they've had a relationship with them for, for decades. Uh, someone at Jewish Family Services uh, came to them and said, hey, did you hear Alive is for sale? Hmm. And and they were like, no, we didn't we didn't know that. And so they reached out to the current CEO, Kimberly Gessley, and and asked and said, is said, is this true? And she, and her response to Lynn Barton was, well, I guess, you know, I guess the rumors uh, have gotten out there, haven't they? And so when they wanted to pursue kind of further dialogue with the with the board, they were kind of they were they were kind of shut down. Uh, eventually, I think they did get one meeting with the board. There was no interaction, and then as members of the advisory board, uh, and those are kind of separate things. Uh, they, it, Alive has a has a has a board which is responsible for all of um, the, the kind of the financial side of things, and then there's an advisory board. Uh, made up of community members and kind of former board members and, and people who are just concerned about Alive and want to help it, uh, they had asked for a meeting with the board and were told they would not be it would not be allowed to have one without signing non-disclosure agreements. Uh, and Gessley had, in response to uh, to the Bartons and others, have said, you know, I, I'm not allowed to either confirm or deny anything here. Right. Uh, it's come. It's come about since then that uh, Mary Falls, who's a who's a former board chair herself and is now on the advisory board, uh, said in a press conference this week that she had four different sources which said that it's for sale. That the that the board uh, is actively considering uh, sale to uh, part sale of parts of it to Medicis, which is a big uh, for profit uh, home health care business. Now Heather Willis spoke at a press conference held by the group Keep. Alive Alive on Tuesday. She's a nurse at the downtown Alive Hospice residence. Let's listen to a little of what she had to say. We take care of patients that have hours to days left of their life and for-profit hospices tend to not want to admit such patients to their roles. They're more interested in admitting patients that have a longer lifespan so they can bill Medicare for more money. Okay, so there's a nurse sounding the alarm. What else about the way a live hospice operates might change under a for-profit model? Uh, under under a for-profit model, there's definitely going to be sort of more pressure, uh, more pressure to, to by fewer people to see more see more patients. Uh, and, and that's if you look at if you drill down into, for instance, uh, the 10Ks, the SEC filings for. Uh, for a medicist, you know, they what they say is in, in, in their kind of public disclosures is that, you know, we we take in about one hundred and sixty eight dollars per per patient and we spend about 80 hmm. um, because they're a for profit company. And, you know, I don't begrudge any any, you know, company trying to make money. But 
when again, when you're looking at kind of what is the preferable outcome in a situation where someone is dying and needs that that sort of care, uh, you know, I would I would certainly want uh, I would certainly want, and I think uh, most people would say they would want there not to be a profit motive in, involved in yeah. kind of the care the the care of my dying relative, my dying uh, my dying friends, or or myself. My family alone went through that many years ago with my grandmother in hospice care. I understand what you're saying. Now, the Keep Alive group has taken their complaints to the Tennessee Attorney General, Jonathan Scrimetti. What are they asking him to do? So if the if the nonprofit is sold to a for-profit entity, there the attorney general has has a 45-day review period for the sale and you know it doesn't have to do anything and he might not do anything. Uh, and there the the group that that had the press conference this week, Keep Alive Alive had said, you know, they want the attorney general to be aware that this is happening that the community uh, doesn't want this to happen and that they and that they they want other sort of other options and this was it was interesting there were a lot of former board chairs uh, at this uh at this press conference and they said very explicitly look we knew what the mission was when we joined that board we were joining a nonprofit that was that was focused on this kind of care. We 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 weren't joining something that had a shareholder responsibility and that that you know that needed to turn X amount of margin on their revenue every year. And the last and the last couple of years of tax returns show that you know Alive has 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 consistently been in the black. And what they said was, if you're not going to do that, the the solution is not to sell it. The solution is to uh, the solution is to for you to to leave the board, mm. and they and they've called on leadership and they've called on board members to to quit if they don't want to perform the 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 uh, the board. I mean the nonprofit's original function. So, as they take this to Scrimetti, do they have any chance with him responding in a way that? They would find favorable. I've, you know, I have no idea that that's that's the discretion of the attorney general, and uh, your guess is absolutely as good as mine. I'm a terrible prognosticator, <laughs> as am I. <laughs> you know, as so as this moves forward, what are you keeping an eye on? So I, I I'm keeping an eye to see if uh, Alive actually says anything, uh, because because they have been silent about all of this, uh, and they won't they won't respond to any sort of questions either in public or in private and and I I would I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that and I'm gonna watch to see kind of like what the public reaction is because to a person if you talk to anyone who's been through a live hospice uh, and and ask them about ask them either about the care or ask them about uh, you know would the, would you want to see that sold? There, there's not. I don't think there's any sort of clamor for for alive to be sold. I mean, the fact of the matter is, it, it, it's appealing because it has a piece of property that's in a very hot area of town. Mm. Uh, it, it, they have the a, a, a big building that sits in the middle of Midtown, where everything that's being built and and it's like a like a low rise one story building. Everything that's being built around them has cranes, mm. <laughs> and that tells you kind of kind of how that area has changed and 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 what the direction of, of midtown is going to be and how valuable that land is and I, and I'm sure that's that's part of the calculation for anybody who would want to buy it
Steve Cavendish is the editor of the Nashville Banner. You can find the link to his story in collaboration with the Nashville scene on today's episode post at thisisnashville.org. Steve, thanks for being here and thanks for your reporting. Thanks, Cleo. Appreciate it. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll meet some of Middle Tennessee's rodeo cowboys and learn what it takes to make it in the rodeo. Are you a fan of the rodeo? What's your favorite part? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colona, and this is Nashville. For the millions of people who come to visit Nashville, do so to experience some cowboy culture. Mechanical bulls and bars? That is not the real thing. But head out to Springfield or Franklin, and you'll find some good old, authentic rodeo cowboying. So what's it like to be a cowboy at the radio? Rodeo. What does it take to ride a bull? My next guest is here to break it down. And every cowboy will put his life in the hands of legendary bull rider and pickup man, Dennis Morris. Captain's Ram Tough Rodeo is coming back to Springfield for another rowdy ride. Dennis Morris is a four-time world champion bull rider, and he throws the Springfield Summer Rodeo. Dennis, thanks for being here. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you very much. It's glad to be here. Pleasure to have you with us. It's a pleasure to talk to a legend, really. <laughs> I don't know about all that. <laughs> you know, I, I've got to ask you, have you always wanted to be a cowboy? I don't ever remember not wanting to be a cowboy. When I was three years old, I got my first pony, and mm. I knew, and I've never been without one. And I knew then I was going to be a cowboy. I just didn't know how it was going to happen because you know when you're three, you don't know much. About it. But as I grew up and got older, when I was in high school, I still we had cows and stuff. But I've just always wanted to do it. Okay, so take me back to the first time you rode an animal that bucked. What was that experience like for you? Well, you know, we used to get on our ponies and sit behind the saddle and kick them in the flanks and make them buck. But now when I was, we'd get on steers and calves and stuff and ride them. But the first bull I ever got on was at a rodeo right up the road in Pleasant View, Tennessee. And I was 14, 15 years old. Hmm. And they put me on a, a bull that, you know, that didn't buck real hard. And so I thought I had it figured out. And, but then... The next time I got on one, he was he was a real deal. So you know, I didn't have it figured out quite as good as I thought I did. But but it was just a, it's such an adrenaline rush, and it's something that once you get bit by that rodeo bug, mm. you you got it. Oh, I hear that. Now I understand you turned pro when you were in high school. Is that right? I actually started getting on some profession to some professional rodeos when I was in high school, but I didn't actually start riding professionally till 1985 and I'd been out of school a couple of years. Well, is that normal for teenagers to get in the professional circuit just a little bit? Of- well, a lot of a lot of kids that ride high school they don't know for sure that they that that's what really they want to do, but the okay. guys that that are for real about it, they start in high school. They there's any difference in basketball and football. You know, most of the professional guys start. Okay. They're good in high school and college. And so that's the way rodeo is. Are there like JV and varsity bull riding teams? Mm, not really. 
You know, you you got it or you don't. (laughs) I hear that. I hear that. Now, from an old school cowboy to the new school. My next guest is a third generation cowboy and a professional steer wrestler who competes in over 100 rodeos a year, including the Black Rodeo USA. I'd like to welcome Tori Johnson to This Is Nashville. Tori, thanks for being here. Thanks for y'all having me. The man, third generation cowboy. That's something. Now, I understand that you were born and raised in, on your grandfather's ranch in Oklahoma City. Tell me, what were some of the earliest memories of learning how to be a cowboy for you? Well, I mean, um, like I said, I grew up on my, my grandparents' ranch. At a, and they just they threw me in there at a young age, and I never turned back. I was around about two or three years old that I remember being thrown on a horse by myself and getting, <clears throat> excuse me, getting to go out in the arena and compete. And, you know, I kind of started as a sheep rider and running burrows and things like that. I just grew on and, you know, here I am today. Tell me, how did you come to enjoy the competitive nature of rodeo? Uh, I mean, you know, like, like he said, it's just, it's just like playing football or basketball. It's just, it's, if it's in you, it's in you. I mean, I was a two-time, uh, you know, all-state in football. Uh, we won state three years in a row. I led us to state, uh, ran track, and, you know, did all the good stuff in high school, but I also high school rodeoed. So I started at a young young generation. Like I, uh, I peewee rodeoed, I junior rodeoed, I youth rodeoed, high school rodeoed, where I uh, won a couple of, you know, national championships, went on to college, and um, actually got a rodeo scholarship. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people don't know that there's actually a rodeo scholarship out there, but I'm actually one of the first African-Americans to ever get a college rodeo scholarship. What did that mean to you, to become one of the first African-Americans to receive a rodeo scholarship? I mean, it, it was a big privilege. I mean, you know, it's where I come from. You know, it's just all kind of like I come from an all-black school that was just all they focused on was basketball, football, baseball, you know, the normal. Uh, it wasn't like being at a at a Caucasian school that they have the FFA and the things like that that get you prepared for rodeo or cattle and things like that. But that's where my grandparents stepped in. They were both uh, from two small country towns here in Oklahoma, one in Gary, one in Watonga. And that's where everything started with uh, ranching and rodeoing, as in, you know, my, my family just passed it down to me. Now, now, Dennis, looking at your career, that's why I call you a legend. You did a lot more than a turn pro. You became a world champion in 1990. The following year, you were the runner-up. Then you rang off three straight titles, 92, 93, and 94. What is it like for you to be the best in the world in a sport that you love? Well, well, you know, being a competitor, you know, you if, if you don't want to be the best, there's if you're going to be second, you just must be 32nd. Mm. So, so as a competitor, you want to be the best. If you don't, you're in the wrong business of anything, of any kind of sport, you know. And so, and in 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 my eyes, the I went to the international finals rodeo in 1988, and I watched them guys that was winning, and it just eat at me and eat at me because I couldn't stand not being that guy. At mm. the end of it, I couldn't stand not being that guy. So it meant more, going to more rodeos because I would go to. 150 rodeos a year, get on a couple hundred bulls a year. Wow. Because I just couldn't stand not doing it. And if one threw me off before the eight seconds, I wanted to get back on him again mm-hmm. because I could not stand to be defeated. 
and and I'm I'm that way now. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've, I'm just that I've got that kind of character rhythm to me. You know, I can't stand to be defeated, and I might do a lot get defeated, but but I don't like it. <laughs> so you know, and and so if there, as far as being the world champion, if your goal is not to be the best, there's not any sense in doing it. And and that's the way I see it. Uh, Tori, do you share that competitive drive that Dennis is talking oh, yeah. about? Oh yeah, you have to. I mean, you gotta live it, you gotta breathe it, you gotta want it. I mean, I I have my own practice facility at my house. I have my own horses, my own cattle, uh, my own rodeo arena, and right there in my backyard. So I practice every day, sometimes twice a day. I mean, it's just like being the best in basketball or football. If you don't practice hard, you won't you won't play hard. So I mean, that's the deal. Is when I practice, sometimes I go out there and I'll put on my cowboy hat, long sleeve shirt, turn on music, and have it going like I'm at the rodeo. Some days I'm just long sleeve t-shirt ball cap and just out there having fun but that's the thing is you have to you have to walk it you have to talk it you have to be about it in order to be the best and i mean like he said you gotta you gotta it gotta live through you or you just out there like you say you win second you're, you might as well say you're 30 second mm-hmm. to be the best you got to put the work in if you're just tuning in this is nashville and i'm your host khalil lake alona we're talking this hour about the rodeo with professional cowboys Tori Johnson and Dennis Morris. Tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville. Now, now, Tori, we went back and watched some of your steer wrestling events, and man, it goes fast. That's how you throw one down. Tori Johnson with a 4 4 7. Tori certainly chasing a fast run to start us off with 3.8 7. Come on, boy, Tori. seconds. That's some pretty intense stuff. Now, break it down for us. Tell us, what is steer wrestling? Well, I mean, steer wrestling is the only event that you have a helper. I mean, like in a team rope, and there's two of them, one rope to head, one rope to heels. Well, in steer wrestling, it's kind of the same thing. One gets on the head and the head box, one gets in the heel box, but it's a steer wrestler and a hazer. So, the hazer is my helper. So pretty much uh, I'll nod from my steer. They'll open the gates. I'll run out, out there and run past the steer, and I'll slide off to the side and hook onto the steer by the horns. And my horse, is, his, his job is to get across there as fast as he can and put my feet on the ground. Well, then, like I said, I got the hazer on the other side where his job is to ride up there and keep that steer running straight. But the faster I can get my hands on that steer and get them across my lap and throw it down, the faster the time stops. So, uh, you know, it's kind of different. I mean, I rode bulls back when I started. And I rope calves also. And but in the steer wrestling, like I say, the faster you are, the faster the time stops, the faster you win. Okay, so you're jumping off of a moving horse onto a running steer and attempt to wrestle it to the ground. <laughs> yes, sir. Man, that's got how hard is that to do? Uh, I mean, I'm adrenaline junkie, so I don't really know how hard <laughs> some things are, but I mean it can be pretty tough. I have a lot of guys that come out to the house and say they wanna they want to learn it. They want to be steer wrestlers. They want to be calf ropers, but they don't really know how hard it is till they get out there and they're sliding off or trying to throw down a five to six hundred pound, you know, live animal. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> so it, it, it can get pretty rough. I mean, what are the dangers aside from getting hooked or gored by a bull or steer? Well, I mean, like you said, hooked by a bull is different than, you know, running the steer. I mean, a steer can run out there and stop and you can go over the top of them and you can land flat on your face or flat on your back. Uh, bull, he can turn back on you at any given time and hook you if you're not moving. 
But that's why you got those uh, those clowns out there. That's well, I ain't gonna say clowns. They're bullfighters out there. They're they're, they're your protectors. So mm. if you get you know dropped down in the well or anything like that when you're riding a bull, if those clowns was well, I keep saying clowns. Those bullfighters they step in there and they get distraction of that that bull to get the bull off the you so you can get out of there. So I mean you can get gored at any time. You can get stepped on. I mean stuff happens so fast. You it's just it's the blink of your eye just like that. No matter if you're still wrestling or riding bulls. Now, Dennis, you help put on rodeos in several different states, including right here in Tennessee. So tell us, aside from being rowdy, what's the rodeo at, in Springfield like? Well, rodeo in general is probably the best clean family fun of any sport you can go to. And and once you go, I have people through the years that, that tell me that they went to the rodeo in Springfield for the first time. Now they don't miss it mm. because I've tried my whole adult life because, you know, there's a guy named Chris Adu years ago that sang a lot of songs about rodeo stuff. But he sang about the old broke cowboy that slept on a park bench and eat sardines and crackers. You know, well, I, I'm not about all that. I, <laughs> I want to change the I wanted to change the image from a, a gypsy style lifestyle to a professional athlete. And and the rodeo itself is a professional show for people. It's entertainment. And mm-hmm. so when you hire professional people to do a professional event, then it takes it to a different level. Mm-hmm. And and so that's what I've strived on ever since I've been quit riding bulls and, and even when I was riding, I didn't I didn't sleep on no park bench and I didn't eat sardines either. So so, you know, because I wanted people to think well, I wanted people to know that I rode good enough and I was competitive enough that, that I could go buy a motel room or eat. I didn't want to, people to think that we was an old broke gypsy style person. So, And I wanted to, to pursue that image as a professional person and a professional show as I got older. Now, now, Tori, you compete in lots of circuits, but one you do a lot is Black Rodeo USA. Tell us more about Black Rodeo USA. Uh, Black Rodeo USA was a was an all African American uh, rodeo that was started in the state of Arizona back in I think around 2010 2011. Uh, Miss Lynette, me and her grew to be uh, have a really good relationship, and that's how I was able to come on today. She called me and she said, "Tori, I need you like she always does," and she said, "I need you to go on and you know be a host or and just talk about." about us and you know that's the thing is uh i I pro rodeo all over nationwide from the east coast to the west coast north south but one thing i I never never feel like i'm too big to go back and give back where i started it so you know i I also want to give a big thanks to miss lynette and black rodeo usa for uh you know having me come do this for them and then also want to give a thanks to um the tennessee tribe and the publisher miss perry for just having us in shelby shelby tennessee june uh I think it's June 3rd at 7.30 uh, p.m. So, I mean, if you're, if you're available, it doesn't matter. Just come on out and have a good time and see a good rodeo. Like you said, it's, it's a family affair. And, you, I mean, it's, it's it's a lot of uplifting and a lot of good seeing. That sounds like fun. And you definitely work with uh, the, Ms. Rosetta Miller-Perry and the Tennessee Tribune. Dennis, when's the next Springfield Summer Rodeo? July 28th and 29th. July 28th and 29th. So everybody locally knows where they should be on those two days. Robinson County Fairgrounds. That's right. Okay, so let me ask you the last question. What's your advice for anyone who has the dream to become a rodeo cowboy? I mean, there's a lot of people that watch the movie Eight Seconds, Mm -hmm. and they think they want to. I've seen it. Yeah. Well, 
you know, it, when when you get a chance to go get on a real bull, my advice would be go to a school. There's guys, older guys like myself that's maybe retired from the sport that that can teach you shortcuts to get better at what you're doing. They can't teach you how to ride, but they can they can tell you shortcuts to to help you get better faster. So go somewhere where somebody's going to try to help you. Get on a bull or a bucking horse or whatever aspect of steer raster, whatever you want to do, and learn the basics okay. and then chase your dream. Okay, real quick before I let you go, is mechanical, are mechanical bulls close? No. All right, all no, right. They that, got a switch. You can turn them off. You can't turn a real one off. <laughs> That's right. That is four-time world champion bull rider Dennis Morris. He was joined by professional rodeo cowboy Tory Johnson. Both of you gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you that. very much. Just glad to do it. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn what it takes to put on a rodeo. It's a lot more than gathering animals. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kelowna, and this is Nashville. This hour, we are talking about the rodeo scene in Nashville and Middle Tennessee. Now, before the break, we learned what it takes to become a rodeo cowboy. Apparently, that's plenty of guts, passion, and a high pain tolerance. But what does it take to put a rodeo together? What goes on behind the scenes to make it all work? And who are the people that make it happen? My next guest knows all about it. Jill Morris is a rodeo organizer and former team roper and also is married to one of the cowboys from the last segment, Dennis Morris. And John Harrison is a professional rodeo clown who is performing at this year's Franklin Rodeo. Jill, John, thank you for being with us today. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for having me. Absolutely a yes, pleasure. thanks a lot. Really great to have you here. So I have to admit, this is my first rodeo episode. So I'm curious, Joe, what happens at a rodeo? What are all of the events? We start out with bareback, saddle bronc, steer wrestling, calf roping, breakaway, team roping, and bull riding. That's a lot of stuff. It is a lot. We have eight sanctioned events that we, we have at our rodeo. Okay, so I imagine the big primetime event is bull riding. Uh, yes, I guess, I guess. I mean, team roping, it's it's taken its it's mark in the rodeo world as well, um, especially around our area. But yes, the bull riding is definitely the fans' fav- fan favorites. Okay, so break down the team roping. What is that, and how does it happen? Uh, there's a header and a healer. So the header naturally ropes the head, and then the healer. It's their their job is to rope two back feet, hopefully, and then you get a time. So the fastest time generally wins. Okay, now I I, I did a shotgun ride with a gentleman that we're going to hear a little bit later. And he told me that one of the dangers of the team roping is potentially you can lose a finger. From yeah, my husband doesn't have a pinky. Um, he was roping a cow out in the pasture. And um, not, this wasn't at the rodeo, but this was just out in the pasture. We had a cow to get out. And uh, he missed, and the rope half-hitched around her foot, and he didn't know it. And the cow took off and snatched his pinky off, and we found it laying over in a pile of dirt. And we took it to Vanderbilt and tried to get it attached back on, but no, no worries. Yeah, so he's wow. he's pinkyless. But Did, yes, a lot of ropers don't have s- some digits. When you were 
competing. Did you ever have a close call? Yes. Well, not in the rodeo arena. Uh, I did have a close call. We were roping a heifer that got out, and she went to jump the fence, and the roll, the coals half hitched around my my whole hand, and I thought I was going to lose all my fingers. But I've had some burns on my fingers at the rodeo, but nothing nothing to speak of. Okay, okay. Now, how long do rodeos normally run? What's the length run time? We like ours to be over in two hours. We don't want to go over two hours. We have a feeling that the the crowd that that's kind of their, their attention span, and we we like to get it over. So two if, hours is that's what we like. That's our goal. We so, shoot for that. So some of them can be a lot longer, huh? Yeah, some of them can be longer. I mean, there goes from two to three hours. Three hours is getting long. I mean, you lose, you know, the attention span if you go much over that. So depends on how many contestants you have entered. Mm-hmm. Now, now, John, what are some of the newer events that have gained popularity in recent years? Oh, you know, I mean, most of the rodeo events have been around uh, four years. The the newest one that's probably uh, taken, I guess, on the national level would be breakaway roping. It's a it's a ladies' event, uh, similar to the tie down roping, but they don't have to get off the horse and tie the animal to the ground. The rope breaks away from the horn, and uh, that one there is probably, uh, as far as membership goes, has grown more than uh, any other events in the last couple of years. Okay, now I understand that you were introduced to the world of rodeo through your grandparents, right? Yes, I was. My grandfather was a world champion bull rider, uh, Freckles Brown. And uh, I realized really quick at about the age of 12 that I wasn't tough enough to ride bulls. Uh, it came off and knocked the breath out of me. And I was like, why would in the world would anybody want to pay money to ride a bull whenever you could get in front of one and get paid every time? So <laughs> that's how I got into the entertainment side. Okay. So I understand you also did some trick riding too, right? I did. You know, that's actually kind of on, on the professional level is how I got into the to the sport. Uh, I saw a trick riding at a local rodeo, and I was like, man, that looks like fun hanging upside down on my horse. And I uh, started uh, roaming riding where you stand on top of two horses. And then uh, I was a trick roper, too. My dad, uh, I knew how to trick rope and, uh, and then got my card. And then I realized pretty quick that not all rodeos have specialty acts, but almost every rodeo has a barrel man and rodeo clown. And that if I wanted to stay busy and adapt uh to that side of it that I'd have to start doing the entertainment side of comedy. And so I kind of figured out really quick that, uh, comedy, uh, comedy is kind of tough, but, uh, it's something that almost everybody enjoys. Okay. Now, Tori Johnson, our last guest said something about rodeo clowns. He said rodeo clowns, but then he called them bullfighters. What's the difference between right. the two? Well, so first of all, Tori's one of my favorite people to watch at rodeo. He go, he rides in a box, purple shirt, crown royal cowboy, and it's fun to see Tori. Like when we're all away from Oklahoma, we're in different parts of the country. You know, there's another Okie riding in the box and getting ready to nod his head. So I'm automatically a fan, and I love steer wrestling. But rodeo uh, has kind of gotten away from the rodeo clown term. Everybody thinks it's offensive. Um, I, I'm a clown. It's not a circus clown, but. Uh, the bullfighters are actually protectors. Uh, they step out in front of the bull and take the hit. Where I have the microphone, and so I'm kind of more of the clown. But in, I'm in the barrel, too, and the barrel is an island of safety for the cowboy. The barrel is an aluminum can. It weighs about 100 pounds, and it's out there for the purpose of if the cowboy gets bucked off his bull and the bull is coming after him, the cowboy can run toward me. I have handles in the barrel. I can pick that barrel up, carry it toward that cowboy, and I'll just try to distract the bull from the cowboy by slapping the side of my barrel, pulling that bull off of him, and then he comes to me. And then the last second, I duck down, embrace, and allowing that bull to hit me, letting that cowboy make a run for the fence. So I can imagine you and the cowboys have a pretty tight relationship, huh? 
That is that is correct, you know, and uh, you get they, we all depend on each other because once I duck down, the bullfighters and you know either the announcer or a bull rider is he coming back? He's like, hey, you can get up because once you duck down, you can't see anything but um, the stars or with the lights above you in the coliseum. So you don't know when to come back up because you don't want to come up at the wrong time and then the bull turn around and smack you. So you kind of have to depend on them guys too. Okay, now Jill, aside from some of the burns you got, what was it like when you were a competitive team roper? <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily call myself a competitive team roper. Um, I went to a few U.S. ropings and some jackpot ropings, so um, I didn't pursue it professionally for years. I just, I can do it, and I, I play around with it. But but it is, it was fun. It was an adrenaline. I've, I've always been very athletic my whole life, and so it was an adrenaline rush for me. And, and there again, when I set out to do something, I want to be the best. And so I didn't start roping until later on in life, and... Um, I guess I was probably 36 or 37 before I ever picked it up, and I didn't win my first buckle until I was 40. So, um, but uh, I enjoy it. I just I enjoy being competitive, whether it's in a man's world or a female's world. So mm-hmm. I like it. Uh, hey, so talk to me about the rodeo in general. What's the atmosphere like there? Um, so our rodeo, that uh, the rodeo, the camaraderie. That's what I enjoy. Like John Harrison, I've never met him, but we know so many mutual friends. You know, they're from Oklahoma, we're from Tennessee, but <clears throat> one of our good friends is Keith Isley, Robbie Hodges, and and so we know so many mutual people. And and although they live so far away, it's a very small world. And it's a very tight knit community. Um, but our rodeos, we like to. We started off very patriotic, and then um, we just try to put on as professional of an event as we can. We you know, we, we like for things to be uh, a good family show. We like for people to enjoy it and to feel like that they got their money's worth when they come to our rodeo. And so that's how we handle it. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about the world of rodeo with rodeo clown John Harrison and rodeo organizer Jill Morris. Tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville. Now, John. You perform countrywide. Tell me, how are the crowds in Tennessee different from the ones out west? You know, it doesn't matter where you're at. You're going to adapt to the crowds, and you're not going to do the same thing in Minnesota that you do in West Texas because those crowds out there uh, are can be a little tougher. They'll go to the rodeo, and they're judging a bronc ride before the judge ever throws the score out. And you can go to other places, and they're just there to scream and holler and hope the guy makes it to the eight seconds. Hmm. Uh, the Franklin Rodeo that we're going to be at next week is, is so much fun. The energy there is great. Uh, Roger Mooney is the rodeo announcer, and me and him, we will heckle each other and have a great time from the very beginning until the end and the, you know those energy is what we feed off of the cowboys love it love it too and when the crowd's into it uh it makes makes our job truly just throw gas on the fire if you will i mean it, it makes it a lot of fun and it and it's something about rodeo too they touched on it earlier jill was mentioning it's, it's a family event it's something you can bring the grandkids to you can bring grandma to you don't have to worry about being embarrassed and uh something inappropriate uh you know it's just it's one of those events that I guess if you're kind of there for the extreme side of it, you got your bull riding. And if you're there for fast horses, you got bell racing. There's kind of something for everybody, which makes it great. Now, it's a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts, a lot of people. Joe, what's it take to organize a rodeo? Like, how many people do you need to have to coordinate an event? Oh, goodness. Um, I would say on any given time, we've got, you know, 20, 25 people there helping us from, I mean, you, you, you can't discredit anybody. I mean, from the people that, that run the concession stands from the people that take the entries, the secretary, the, the pickup men, you know, it takes so many people to come together and have a, you know, a successful event. You know, the, the announcer and the clown are the two main keys 
for us, though. Mm-hmm. We we like to get two that work well together. Like like John said, the energy is everything. If the clown feeds off the announcer well, if they can heckle back and forth well with each other, if they can, if they have a, a good working flow together, then that gets your crowd into it, and it's it's smooth sailing from there. What's it take to organize all the animals? A lot, a lot. So we actually own our own bucking bulls and bucking horses, but if we get more entries than we have stock, we lease them from other um, stock contractors. So it um, and then time to vent cattle, we lease those. We don't own our own time to vent cattle, so we lease those out from from people that have those. But it's a lot just getting all the the animals because we have the entries the week prior to the event. So you have to get all of that done in a week or sometimes less than a week to get all the animals figured out and get them to your event. Are you renting animals from all parts of the country or do you stay specific to the southeastern region? The ones that we rent are specifically through the southeast region. Our time to vent cattle usually come from east Tennessee and then the bulls, if we need extra, they, you know, we've got several people around Tennessee that can bring them. Tell me, what's your favorite part about the radio, rodeo? Well, I have to say, I'm always the person that carries the American flag at ours. And um, I know that is such not a big deal to so many people, but that is an honor and a privilege to me. I think that you need to respect the flag, and I think that that all eyes are not on me. All eyes are on the flag, and I think that's what it's supposed to be, and I think that's how we should start it off. We started off with the American flag and a prayer, and then everything else follows after that. Mm-hmm. Now, John, what's your favorite part? Of the being in the room, man. You know what? There's so many. There's so many great parts. But she's right. God and country is where it's at. We're all united at that point. You know, uh, and you can have you can have favorite events or dislike an event and not like, you know, whatever it is. Barrel racing, the team open. But uh, at the very beginning, uh, it is. It's God and country. And you know, steer wrestling is probably my personal favorite event. Um, even though bull riding, you would think that's that's supposed to be my favorite event. But steer wrestling, I mean, it's just all the elements are there for a great wreck and great entertainment. A guy jumping off a horse at 20 mile per hour, wrestling a farm animal to the ground. It's it's awesome. <laughs> that's a mouse. That's really wild. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm curious about what people can expect at the Springfield Summer Rodeo this year. Well, we've been putting it on for 30 years now, and we've grown from probably a crowd of 500 to we probably have a crowd of 7,500, reached 10,000. So so you can expect um, a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, a lot of good food. We have many world champions that enter the rodeo, so we have a lot of great contestants, a lot of hometown contestants. There are more world champions in Tennessee than than you could ever think of. Um, Chad Masters, he's from Tennessee. He's Mm -hmm. a world champion. Um, We have... Josh Reed and my husband, Dennis Morris. I mean, we have so many world champions and um, most of them come to our rodeo and we have just the talent level is is unreal. Um, just like John was saying about Franklin, Tennessee, the energy and the the, the level of talent that are, that's there. It's it's a different association that we're sanctioned through, but still same same type of contestants. What is it about this region that keeps on producing so many world champions? It's like how Texas produces great football players. Right, right. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I can't. I don't have the answer for that. I just know that it is an unbelievable amount. Um, team roping's really tough around here. Uh, saddle bronc riding and more so out west. We don't have a I mean, we have our share of great saddle bronc riders and bareback riders here, but that's more of an out west. But we have a lot of good time event contestants around here and a lot of good bull riders around here. John, real quick, about 30 seconds. How would you like to see rodeo culture grow? Man, you know, it's one of the things the Cowboy Channel uh, has sure helped that by making it in everybody's living rooms. And uh, just where 
everybody just needs to go to one and just truly sit down and get away from your problems for two hours. It don't matter if it's financial health or what, just go to the rodeo and get away from everything and just take the family and have fun for a couple hours. Get outside, be in some nature and see some <laughs> wonderful right. athletes, animals, two legs and four legs. I want to thank my guests, Jill Morris. He's a rodeo organizer for the Springfield summer rodeo. And John Harrison is a professional rodeo clown. Thanks to you both again for being Thanks with us. Thanks for having us. All right. So it's Friday. That, that means it's time for me to hop out of the studio and take a ride with the fellow Middle Tennessean. We heard earlier about the wellspring of talent that Robertson County offers to the world of rodeo. So this week, my ride is with bullfighter Dakota Brown. Not the Olay type of bullfighter. He's the modern day kind that keeps the riders safe when they fall off of a bucking bull. We met up in Springfield and drove around the countryside talking about one of his favorite things, the rodeo. Buckle up. Hop on in. I heard they used to uh, tie up the bull's testicles yep. to get them agitated. Is that true? or And if so, do they still do that? So that has never been true. Okay. So I always like to say, if someone had me by mine, Ooh. I'm probably going to lay in the fetal position and beg you to let go. Yeah. Right? I, I agree. They're going to do the same thing. Well, yeah. They're not going to move. They're it's the exact same way mm -hmm. right so um if you ever get a picture from underneath the bull and his back legs are way up in the air and he's stretched out in the front feet are on the ground you can see a little thin rope on the back side of him and it's called the flank rope okay and the flank rope is just a little cotton rope that goes around him okay so it's tight enough that it's not going to fall off but it's loose enough that it's not hurting mm -hmm. him in any way it's basically a foreign object that is in a tickle spot for the bull. A so, tickle spot? Yes. So it's basically tickling them and they want it off. Gotcha. Right? So there are some that it doesn't bother. That's why there is, nowadays, the breeding programs are incredible. They're bred to buck, is okay. what it is. And, and, and it, they're also bred to be ticklish. Yeah. But it's that damn old rodeo. Have you ever run into a bull that knows its job, but is a little bit of a diva? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's uh, there's some that are so smart that they know where they're throwing the rider, and they know when that rider hits, they've got one extra turn and they can be right there to okay. hook the rider, right? Okay. And. It's another part of the bullfighter to kind of know the bulls that they're mm -hmm. fighting. Actually, Dennis has one of my favorite ones. Um, he's got a bull called Triple uh, Sevens. And <laughs> um, when Dennis got him, he was very, very hot and he would hook anything and everything. And now you could probably go up and feed hay to him in the, in the lot with him. Ah. But, he, it's one of the coolest things just seeing being around since he got him to now and most of the time he gets his job done really really well so <laughs> it's uh to me it's fun to watch him be as athletic as they are and that's probably one of the most athletic ones i've seen and yeah, they're just majestic they are you know when you look did at you them. ever have a an incredibly close call yes yeah, so i actually got stepped on on my face and it wow. knocked me out cold for quite a while and 
ended up with a severe concussion. Luckily, I didn't break my jaw or anything. Yeah. They always say it's not if you get hurt, it's when and how bad. Mm-hmm. You know? So my most recent injury was bullfighting. Last year, last January, I shattered my kneecap and my patella tendon. What? Yes. How did that happen? Uh, got, uh, I was in a freestyle bullfight, which is the Mexican fighting bulls and you, and that's it. It's just one-on-one and they're trying to hook you, you know? Yeah. So I made a couple passes with him and I went one way and he cut me off and he lifted me up and pinned me against the fence and went to hooking me and his horn hit my kneecap Ooh. and just shattered it. Shattered it instantly. Yeah. Ooh. It was in 18 pieces. Man. Like a rhinestone cowboy. Is your wife into rodeo? She is. She was not before she met me. Um, she was into horses big time though. I was going every weekend to fight at a rodeo. She is very, very competitive. Uh huh. And she's very athletic. So she looked at me, she goes, I'm not gonna go and just sit there anymore. And she was like, you know, roping is a lot more challenging and mm-hmm. that's what I wanna do. And so she went from not ever holding a rope to within six months, she was pretty dang good at throwing a rope. Brand new, rookie of the year. Yes. Well, one can only hope. One can only hope. She's, she's worked her ass off for it, which is which is really fun to watch. I, she'll kill me, but the first time we ever went somewhere, she went four for four. Really? Which is wild. I was shocked. I mean, I was so happy. After that, she kind of went in a slump. Okay. And it was so funny because the first time, it was really, I got to see her competitive edge because she was selling everything. We was getting rid of the horse. We was getting rid of the truck and the trailer. We was selling everything. (laughs) She didn't want to do it no more. She's like, I cannot suck at anything. Mm. And so that's just how competitive she is. (laughs) Rodeo hand, rodeo hand. Everything that a cowboy can ride on, cowboy ride, ride on, cowboy ride. Riding Shotgun is supported by Xander Insurance. Dakota, thanks again for that ride, and maybe one day I'll get on a mechanical bull. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Rose Gilbert. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tutho. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Alex Barnes. Listen back at This Is Nashville or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you next week, everybody, and be good to each other. <laughs>